Chapter 25 of For God in Gold. This is a LibriVox reading. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 25 In six days all was ready and our Frenchmen sufficiently refreshed from the nearest magazines to undergo the labor of a desperate attempt. When the hour was come, I went to take leave of my senorita. Sweet goddess, said I, for she would not be otherwise named by me. Your faithful worshipper comes to crave your leave to depart. Madre de Dios, she said, looking at me with wide, frightened eyes. What new wild venture is this? When will this devil cease to torment my people and set us free? Does my goddess then so long to change her paradise? I asked. Yes she answered petulantly for her worshipper loves him not and is faithless or he would be content staying here in paradise but no she went on suddenly starting up you shall not go i forbid it you will be killed and i-i shall be left with these rough men you must stay and worship me nay let me go and worship you said i lip service is unworthy to offer at your shrine I will go and bring you better things than that, so you will give me leave. With such jesting talk, I tried to win her free consent, that we might not mar the pleasant comedy that we played. Still she would not give it, and I thought she but held it back in her wanton way, wishing for more. But at last her face quite altered and she turned quickly on me. Hold, hold, she said. Your tongue has a devil. You and your captain are devils together. Go to him. But, O oh, Gasparo, I have played too long. I have played till play has grown to earnest. Go, but come back to play no more. Come back to love me, O oh, Gasparo, she continued, sinking her voice to an awe-hushed whisper. I know that the devil will come into my heart too and drive me to do I know not what. Just then, Frank's whistle sh sounded a shrill call to embark. I could not think what to say or do. I bent over her to snatch a hasty kiss and go, since it was so we always parted. Now, but she shrank away. No, she said. The play is done. Our lips shall meet no more till they meet in earnest, till they meet in love. Go now, and the Holy Mother be with you. An hour afterwards, I was sailing merrily onwards, bearing room for the cabezas. Our fleet was made up of the new tallowed frigate and two pinnaces. In them were fifteen English, twenty French, and our Cameroons. And who amongst them was also tormented with his crowded thoughts as I, or rejoiced so much in the perilous nature of her enterprise? What would have happened to me and her, I cannot dare to think had it not been that my thoughts were occupied more and more fully each mile we sailed with the wild excitement of a new most daring enterprise by the time we had passed the cabezas where we left the frigate with a mixed guard and were sailing with the pinnaces aloof the shore towards the rio francisco all i had left behind was well nigh lost in what was to come arrived at the river which was but five leagues by the sea from Nombre de Dios, 
we landed very quietly and dismissed the pinnaces, charging those that had guard of them to return to the cabezas and be in the river again without fail in four days, which time Pedro deemed was all that we should want, since now the requas were coming daily from the Panama, and the road by Nombre de Dios was not above seven leagues from the spot where we landed. So we started through the dense forest once more in our old order, yet in better heart than ever, in spite of our miscarriages. For now we knew what the danger was and feared it less. But there was not one of us in whose heart did not burn a mad desire for revenge. The flame of anger which the news from Paris had kindled in all the company consumed every other thought, and no one cared what came of him so long as he made shift to strike one good blow in return. A great part of her company had sailed under the Prince of Conde's commission in the old days in the narrow seas, and some had even served in the French ships, whereby a sort of brotherhood had grown up between our mariners and the Huguenots, a kindliness which those now with us did not a little to keep warm by the very cheerful spirits with which they infected us. During all the voyage from Fort Diego, they had made great light of our perils and protested a very great readiness for the attempt. Indeed, we found their courage very hot out of their joy as they ceased not to tell us at marching under our captain, of whom they had heard so much since they had been on the coast, no less than from the natural disposition of their countrymen for attack and all services were spirits of more account than endurance. It was no small hardship to them to hold their peace, and our method of silent, cat-like marching, in which, by use, we were now almost as skillful as the Simaroons, was a great marvel to them, as was the discipline by which it was maintained to their captain. By no means could they come to the same stillness as we, Whereat the Simaroons conceived a great scorn of them and would give no heed or trust to them. In answer, the Frenchmen fell into a great distrust of them as we burrowed deeper and deeper into the tangled forest and mazy ravines, protesting that it was madness to go on, since, should the Negroes prove false, we could never find the pences again. This was true enough, but Frank gave them to understand such fears were groundless and must not be broached, since we had made long trial of the negroes' constancy, and if they feared that they should never have come. Moreover, he took such sharp order with them by Monsieur Tatu's consent and furtherance to have silence observed that in a very short space they were as firmly under his spell as any of us, and things went well again. Having come thus within a mile of the road on the second evening, we chose a place where we might lie and refresh ourselves all night, since the wreck was did not reach Nombre de Dios till morning. This was a perilous time for us, for the Frenchmen, being new to the trade, were for the most part too excited to sleep. Nor can I blame them, for we lay so near to the great town, wherein were now enough soldiers to have eaten a whole company at a sitting, that we could hear plainly what was passing there. As we lay in the breaks, still as mice, we could mark the lazy challenge of the watch and the noisy laughter of the guards at their cups, 
mingling with the busy din of the carpenters on the fleet. They had begun work, for because of the great heat, they do not work in the day. And all night long there came up from the harbour the sounds of saw and axe and hammer as they wrought busily to get the fleet ready for the sea. Soon after, we came thither to request passed out from the Panama gate and toiled up the hill to us with such a monstrous clanging of the bells that we had much ado to keep the Frenchmen quiet. So moved were they at the sound. Soon they passed. We could hear their music die away towards the south, and then on that side all was still, and we fell to listening to the labour in the harbour again. Hour by hour the still night wore on. The Englishmen about me fell asleep, as well as some of the French, though I grieved to see the wine flask passing about amongst others more than gave hope of cool heads in the morning. Harry, who lay by my side, was one of the first to compose himself to rest. I saw him take out a little picture from his breast. I knew too well what it was. He kissed it lovingly and then quietly stretched himself out and lay quite still. The sergeant slept at his feet. Ave had craved leave for him to come and retrieve his reputation, saying well he was the least likely of all the company to get us decried again. It was in the first grey of the morning that I awoke, with Harry's hand on my shoulder and the faint sound of bells in my ears. His face was radiant and he held up his fingers to bid me listen. Close by lay a cimarron with his head uplifted, like a dog, when he suddenly hears a strange dreaded hand. His eyes were wide open, glistening and bloodshot, and his big white teeth gleaming as he listened intently. I could see he was greatly excited, and so was I, to watch him. Suddenly he turned to me as though satisfied. What is it? I whispered. The biggest luck ever men done got, he answered. Hark, hark! Yes, said I. I can hear it is a requa from Panama, and a big one by the sound. A requa? He answered scornfully. It is one, two, three requas. Now you will have more gold and silver than all of us can carry away. And more soldiers than we can drive away, perhaps, whispered Harry. But we must strike. All the last year, that is all. Our talk was cut short by the word being passed that we should creep on to the edge of the road, which we did very quietly and quickly, being divided into two bands, under the general and Mr. Oxenham, as before, that we might strike head and tail again. By the time we were in our places, I could not doubt that what the Semeron had said was right. The sounds from the town were hushed as the dawn brightened, and I could plainly hear a clanging of bells, as told me clearly there must be many more mules than I had ever heard together before. Nearer and nearer they drew, and the louder waxed the deep-toned music, so sweet in our ears, the quieter were we. Not a sign was there to tell of our presence, save now and again the dull snap of a bow being bent, or the low sound of breath as the matches of a small shot men were being blown up or a gentle rustle of the brakes as a young man's hand moved nervously. Everything was at last drowned in the clash of the bells. Now they had quite passed Mr. Oxen's party in the rear. Now the clank of arms was abreast of us. 
I saw Frank's whistle at his lips. Once more, its piercing note split the air, and we were all on our feet, rushing down the road, shouting, Dre! Dre! like madmen. As I leapt down into it, I could see a sight that made my heart bound. Some three hundred mules, laden with little leather bags, and all tied tail to tail, stretched along the road. In front glittered the morions and the corslets of some score of soldiers, and at different points in the line and in the far rear, where our men were already engaged, were more. In front of all rode two or three officers in splendid armour. But there was no time to see more. In a moment I had discharged my pistol and was hand to hand at it with the foot. Harry was by my side at like work, and I could see the sergeant, sword in hand, making for one of the officers. At our first onset they fell back, being quite unprepared and dismayed with a shot and arrows. Half of them carried their morions in their hands, and none had their matches ready. So we were left to stop the mules, which all lay down quietly as before, but was only a short respite. The balls and hail shot were soon flying about our ears up the narrow road. Poor Captain Tatu rushed more valiantly upon them, sword in hand, but was doubled up in the road before he came to his distance. For a while it was desperate work. In a confused mass we fought and struggled together, and the woods re-echoed with the explosion of the small shot and the frantic cries of Drake, Drake, and Santiago, Santiago. I was hand to hand again with a soldier who gave me stiff work when I heard the plunging of a horse and the bristle of a blade behind me. I made sure my end had come and turned to hearing a thundering shout of Drake and see Sergeant Culverin dash by into the thick of the foot. He seemed a new man. As he passed, he slashed at my opponent and set me free. I could not even then but admire his splendid management of his frantic horse in the press. Hewing and slashing, he made straight for a mounted officer who was fighting like a lion. Involuntarily, I paused to watch and get my breath. Straight at him, the sergeant rode and with a sudden check of the bed, made his stolen charger rear right up against the Spaniard at his rein hand so that he was wholly guarded from the officer's blade. Then as the horse descended, the sergeant's heavy chaviona rang upon the Spaniard's morion. The officer reeled in his saddle, his sword dropped, and his horse turned galloped madly out of the press towards the town. Riding master had been too much for the cavalier's skill. The victory of her horse seemed to paralyze the foe. Resistance ceased. They only thought of escape. Down the road, into the woods, anywhere, they fled to avoid us. Yupeho, yupeho! seemed once more to people the air with the fiends as the leaping, yelling simaroons danced after them almost as fast as the sergeant rode. How far he would have continued his pursuit in the middle of his diabolic company, I cannot tell, for Frank's shrill whistle called all back. Mr. Oxenham's work was done as soon as ours was, for the Spaniards in the rear, having no officer to encourage them, was soon persuaded to leave the mules in his care, so that now all hands were wanted for the heaviest part of the task, which was to get our plunder into the forest. Like children, we went at it, half mad with joy over our extraordinary good fortune. After all our toil and all our failures, we had succeeded at last, and that beyond all our hopes. 
We found our prize was one requie of fifty mules and two of seventy. Every mule carried three hundred pounds weight of silver, making in all some twenty-five kilos, besides such store of jewels and yellow bars and quartz as made us to have no eyes for the baser metal. All hands now, sang out Frank, to ease the mules, which must be sore, weary, and yearly now. All the Spaniards will be taking pains to stay us, doing the poor animals this kindness. And sergeant, he said, as color and reined up, our horses shall go to the friend to give us advertisement of their coming, that we may prepare a salutation for them. An honorable service, Captain Drake, said the sergeant, beaming with delight, for I crave leave to thank you. Nay, sergeant, laughed Frank, it is yours of right. I marked how you took the weather of the cavalier. I never brought up to the windward better myself. Away now, for we must work. And indeed, there was no need. In spite of the huge loads the Cimarrones could carry, it was no light or speedy labor we had, especially since some were hurt. Yet the only sore wound we had was the French captain's, who was so grievously struck with hail shot in his belly that he could not walk, in spite of most valiant endeavors. The whole time we worked, we could hear the turmoil our wizard had caused in the town. Trumpets were braying and drums beating up and down, as though the devil had broken loose, as perhaps they thought he had. We could no doubt that the soldiers we had relieved had given, after the manner of the Spaniards, so monstrous and boasting an account of our numbers that the whole garrison was making ready to visit us. Indeed, as our last mule was eased, the sergeant came galloping in to bring the news of mighty preparation of horse and foot on the march out of the plaza, as he had guessed by the notes of the trumpets. This great preparation was a saving instead of our undoing, for by the time the enemy's horse and foot reached the wreck was the foremost of us were already far in the woods, intent on burying some of our silver which was over and above what we could carry. Being thus busy, we could not receive them, and since they had no mind to follow us through the forest, we could not choose but disappoint them in their intention of saluting us. Some fifteen tons we buried, partly under fallen trees, partly in the bed of a river, and partly in the holes of land crabs, whereof we found a colony, and begged of them this hospitality. And so with ten tons of silver and all the gold and jewels, we went on our way, the Semerones bearing loads which were a marvel to us all how they did not break their backs. At a fitting place the Cimarrones made a little house for the French captain, for by no means could he be persuaded to cumber us, so that we could carry less of the treasure. He stoutly protested that nothing but a rest would save his life. So, being unable to move him from his valiant resolve, we were compelled against our wills to leave him in charge of two of his men, who vowed they would not desert their captain, while there was a spark of light left in him. We had not gone far when the Frenchmen began to cry out that one of their number was missing, and were for going back, thinking him to be lying wounded on the road. Upon this, our captain made searching examination to find out how it should be, which he soon did from a single. I don't see him, said the negro. He done got too much pillage and too much wine, so he done go on before in a hurry to get to the ships. I think he down lost his way. This indeed was true, as we had occasion afterwards to know. Our captain was angry at it and would not stay longer, being in a great hurry to get to the pinnaces in the Rio Francisco, 
before they were discovered by the Spaniards, as he doubted not they would endeavour, having been so outwitted by us. So we toiled on under our loads through a terrible tempest of rain and wind which overtook us and made our march none the easier by reason of the swollen torrents and mire. Yet, if we had heavy loads, we had light hearts, and comforted ourselves with a hundred jests at our luck, no less than with the speedy hope of reaching the pinnaces. It was early on the second day that we came to the river, and all quickened their pace to me among the first to tell their comrades the news. Yet were our pains thrown away. For when we had passed out of the forest and reached the rendezvous, not a sign of the pensis was to be seen, only the river rolling down in double volume, brown and swollen from the rain. Where can they be? said I to Fry. Naila, who can tell? he said, looking very grave. Unless, he added more cheerfully, the tempest has delayed them. The wind was westerly. Let us go and have a look out to see. Maybe they are even now at hand. In great anxiety, we hurried to a place whence a great part of the coast could be decried. The rest, who were not too weary, seeing what the general did, followed. Eagerly, as the sea opened out before us, we scanned its glittering surface towards the cabezas whence our pinnaces were to come, and there, to our horror, we saw rowing, as though from the very spot, seven Spanish pinnaces, Crowned with men and glittering hardness. End of chapter twenty five.